And the third one I want to look at is in verse 5. Remember the wondrous works that He has done. Specifically, in the verse, we, the reader is to remember His miracles and the judgments that God has uttered. And here we're at the beginning of the psalm. The psalmist is telling the people of Israel to remember. Then in the rest of the psalm, he's going to get into what God has done. So it seems kind of backwards. Remember first, and then he describes what they are to remember. But that's the way that the Holy Spirit wrote it, so that's the way that we read it. Remember the wondrous works that God has done. So that's point one, what God wants you to do. Sing praises to Him. Tell of His wondrous works. Remember His wondrous works. And before we move on, I'd love to point out that this is this is how our worship service is structured. If you think about it, we start off by singing. Then we tell of God's wondrous works. And then we remember... We Jeff just did it. Then we remember His works by praying about it and by talking with each other afterwards in the fellowship time. And we should be pleased to do these things for the Lord because the Lord is a caring God who keeps His covenant promises to His people. So let's look at the point two on your outline. What God did. And this is where we're going to spend most of the time this morning. It's a a long section that I'm going to read, so I invite you to to focus as much as you can. If you hear anything this morning, please hear this. Let's start reading at 7. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word that He commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that He made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac which He confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When there were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not My anointed ones, do My prophets no harm. When He summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what He had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested Him. The king sent and released Him. This is Pharaoh. The ruler of the peoples set Joseph free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Joseph, or Jacob, sojourned in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed signs, his signs among them, and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. 
He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts throughout their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon Egypt. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night, they asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil. We're going to say that last verse. So, a lot of text. If you paid attention, you notice that God is the primary actor. He, 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 he. Look at how many he's litter your page. Most of this psalm is about what God did. And as I move forward, I'm going to, to highlight the uh, talk about the highlights of each little part, each stanza. In case you don't know what a stanza is, a stanza is a grouping of verses. It's the separation of paragraphs in poetry. And that's what we're dealing with here in the Psalms, poetry. So, for example, the, the first stanza, or the second one, is 7 through 11. Let's look at that one. In this stanza, we see God's covenant promise to His people. Verse 11. This is it. This is the promise that we're going to talk about all morning. Verse 11, "...to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance." God saying to Israel, I will give you this land. This is the same covenant promise that He made to Abraham and that was passed down to Isaac and Jacob. And we know that God will remember His promise. Verse 8, he remembers His covenant forever. So that's the promise. Israel, I will give you the land. Let's look at the next one. 12 through 15, we see that God protects Israel from other nations so that they may eventually inherit the promised land so that God may stay good on His Word. Verse 13, says that while they were wandering from nation to nation, God allowed no one to oppress them. No one to oppress them. This was before Egypt. Think pre-Joseph. And we see, so we see God preserving His people that they may one day inherit the land that He promised them. Imagine you're an Israelite. You're banking on this promise of God, but then there's a famine. Your people could die out. Do you think you'd be tempted to doubt that God's going to stay good on His promise? We see that in the next 
stanza 16 through 22, this very thing happens. We see God saving His people from famine to keep them alive so that they can inherit the land someday. So that God can keep His promise. God had this master plan of sending Joseph years in advance to Egypt to store up food for seven years worth of famine. And in case you want to read it, it's Genesis 37 through the end of Genesis. Here's the point though. By Joseph's wisdom, Egypt is preserved. But so is Israel. And what does Israel have coming to them? They have the promise land coming to them. So God preserves His people. Do you see God working to keep His promise? If you've been paying attention to politics, you know that two candidates were uh, just chosen, Trump and Clinton, at the national conventions that just happened. And over the past couple months, they've been making speeches and grand vision statements and promises. I'm not mocking them. I'm just saying. Uh, you may be able to hope for some of these promises, but I wouldn't count on them. The candidate that you are you have in mind, they may not get elected. Even if they do get elected, they might be forced to work on other issues. They might decide to change their mind and not fulfill their promise. Anything can happen. We can always bank on God fulfilling His promises. God saves His people here from famine in order that His promise would be fulfilled. Imagine you're an Israelite again. What if your people become enslaved? What if the Egyptians take you over and make you do stuff you don't want to do? Would you be tempted to doubt God's promise? Verses 23 through 25, this is what happens. Ups and downs. God makes His people fruitful, but He turns the Egyptians' hearts against the Israelites. Instead of inheriting Canaan as free people, they are slaves in Egypt. God, what are you doing? Have you given up on your promise? Consider, God is weaving together a story of deliverance. Without slavery, there is nothing to deliver the people from. Without adversity, trusting in God's promise is easy, but with adversity, clinging to God's promises is hard, but it is sure. We see that the way to the promised land for the people of Israel is through Egypt. Did we see something similar in Mark? Going through something hard to get to something glorious? Yeah, we saw Jesus Christ get tortured and die on the way to resurrection and on the way to the establishment of His kingdom. This is one of the ways that God works. Things don't look great for Israel right now, but we're going to keep reading. 26-36, through 36, here's the scene. The Israelites don't have the land yet. Egypt's got a tight grip on Israel, and Pharaoh's not going to let them go. And so what does God do? How does God keep His promise 
to Israel. He sends plagues until Egypt loosens its grip. Whatever is necessary to rescue His people and keep them moving to the promised land, that is what God does. All so that He can stay good on His promise. Verse 28, He sends darkness. 29, the river gets turned to blood. 30, frogs come up and cover the land. Flies and gnats in 31. Crushing hail and fiery lightning in 32. Innumerable locusts in 34. And then God kills all the firstborns in Egypt. 36, God is going to stop at nothing until Pharaoh lets His people go. God is faithful to His promise, to His people. 37 and 38, we see God bring His people out of Egypt with gold and with silver for the sake of the promise. God worked things such that Israel gets to leave Egypt with uh, Egypt's best. This shows that God cares for His people. He not only sets them free, but He gives them Egypt's best. I'll bet you this made the the highlight reel for the Egyptians. They get to leave Egypt after 400 years of enslavement and they get to take silver and gold. So, God might keep His promise after all. Let's look at 39 through 42. What about... Okay, you're an Israelite. You're in the desert now. You're in the middle of the desert. There's no food. There's no water like there was in Egypt. You're wandering around with 600,000 plus people. It's miserably hot. Would you be doubted, uh, tempted to doubt God's promise? We see God graciously care for His people here. God comes to them in a cloud and in fire to give light by night. God never leaves His people. He's always with them, always guiding them, always protecting them. Verse 40, Israel gets hungry and it says, they asked and He brought quail and gave them bread. So He provides for their food. 41, God opens a rock in the middle of the desert and a river comes out of a rock. If that's not God caring for His people on the way to a promise, I don't know what else to show you. And then at the end of the stanza, we see why God is doing all this from seven until now. Why is He so committed to His people? 42, for He remembered His promise, His holy promise, and Abraham His servant. Anytime you see the word for in the Bible, it's often giving you a reason for everything that came before it or for verses that came before it. So here we see God did all these things, 7 through 41. For He remembered His holy promise. That's why He did all this. God remembered His holy promise. If you're an Israelite, you might be getting impatient. It's been a while. You all have been listening to me for a while on this point. (laughs) The promise is not fulfilled yet. 
Ryan uh, Schreckengast shared this with me, and he said that it would be okay to share. Uh, Sometimes Ryan's toddler, Aiden, wants blueberry pancakes. And so he says, blueberry pancakes. And Ryan, being the loving father that he is, starts to make blueberry pancakes for Aiden. And uh, partially through the way of cooking, Aiden will say, blueberry pancakes. He gets impatient. And Ryan, of course, is like, they're coming, bud. They're not done yet. Be patient. God fulfills his promises, but he does so on his own time. The blueberry pancakes are coming. 43 through 44, we see the fulfillment. We see the blueberry pancakes. It says, So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the land of the nations. When it says the land of the nations, that is Canaan. That is the promised land. The land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. The land of the nations. Finally, Israel has gotten the land. After all those verses, the promise has been fulfilled. God was faithful to His promise. To, uh, to wrap up this point, consider, is this covenant promise just about land? Or is there something else going on? As I mentioned, I, I've been reading a lot through Exodus over the past couple of weeks. A major theme in Exodus is God coming to dwell with His people. And in keeping this promise to His people in Psalm 105, God is giving them more than just land. God is giving them Himself. God will come and dwell in this land. This is the land that will become Israel. Just like it is Israel today. In this land, the establishment of the Holy Temple happens. And prophets come and they tell of a coming Messiah in this land. In this land, Jesus would come to dwell and die in this land that man might have hope of being reconciled to God. This is about much more than land. The Lord is a caring God who keeps His covenant promises to His people. That was what God did. Let's look at the last point on your outline. Very brief look at why God did it. Verse 45, "...that they might keep His statutes and observe His laws. Praise the Lord." Here we see the end of a purpose statement. "...that they might keep His statutes." God kept His promises. He gave them the land that they might obey Him. A way to sum it up is God, uh, God's people are delivered and given the promised land because God remembered His promise, so that they might obey Him. That's why God did it. And why wouldn't you want to obey a God like this? This is a, a caring God who keeps His promises to you. The Lord is a caring God who keeps His promises. Let's consider some application as we close. 
Here are some for you to consider. Remember what God has done. Think on what God has done in your life. Think about how He has been faithful to you. If that doesn't work, another option is to read a psalm like this or read Exodus. Read about the wondrous works that God has done. The God of Exodus is not old. He's not tired. The same God who worked these wonders in Egypt thousands of years ago, He's the same God that's guiding you and me today. And God really did all those things in Exodus and in Psalm 105. He he really did promise Abraham the land and blessing. And He really did deliver Israel from Egypt with all those plagues. And He really did do all those miracles in the desert to care for His people. So you can remember those things as you remember the faithfulness of God. Number two, trust His promises. This psalm should make your confidence in God's promises rock solid. That's what this psalm should do. God makes a a promise and then a whole bunch of stuff happens in the middle. And then at the end, God fulfills His promise. A promise is a promise. Think on another promise of God. Romans 8.1 There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you are a Christian, the blood of Christ is enough. You can trust in the atoning blood of Jesus. You're not going to get to Judgment Day and have God say, well, I changed my, my mind. You're not getting in after all. That's not going to happen. No, the promise of Jesus' blood is sure. You will inherit heaven if you have Jesus. If you are a Christian, you have this hope, this promise. If you're not a Christian, I invite you, come to the solid promise of Jesus. Last one for you. Obey God. The grace of the Gospel is amazing. The grace of the Gospel is that though we deserve death, God gives us the exact opposite. He gives us eternal life. Grace is amazing. Continuing on though, once we're saved, God has saved us in the grace of Christ that we might grow in holiness here on earth. That we might obey His laws. God gave Israel the land that they might obey Him. And so the application here is obey God. Don't be afraid to be excited for holiness, to be zealous for holiness. If you understand the grace of the Gospel and the land that you've been given in Christ, you will be happy to be holy. Children, this means that because Jesus loves you and saved you, you get to obey Jesus by obeying your parents. That is a, a, a reaction to the Gospel of Christ. In closing, the Lord is a caring God who keeps His covenant promises to His people. He cared enough about us to send Christ and deliver us from slavery to sin. We were in bondage not of fetters, and collars, but of sin and selfish will. 
And God in His mercy has kept His promise to deliver us from that. He kept His promise to Israel by giving them the land. And we will inherit the land of heaven because of the shed blood of Jesus. And that's a promise you can count on. So let's pray and uh, sing about the Lord's promises to us. Father, we give You praise and thanks. We have great hope in Your promises. We can count on them. We can bank on them. Your character is perfect, Lord. We pray that as life goes on, that we would be uh, excited to hope in Your promises. God, give us faith to cling to Your promises, uh, the greatest of which is Christ Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.